Welcome to China Manufacturing Decoded from Southeast, the podcast where we take you through some of the major topics facing importers and manufacturers in China today. Hi, everybody! Thanks for joining us again here on China Manufacturing Decoded. It's episode seventy-five. I'm Adrian from Southeast, and I'm joined by our CEO Renault. Hi, Renault. Hey, how you doing? Seventy-five already, yeah. Yes, I know that they're, they're, they're going up, and do you know what? We're almost at ten uh, thousand downloads, so pretty、mm. amazing, no? Yeah, yeah, starting to to gather a stable audience. That's that's nice.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm I'm glad、uh, I'm glad everyone's、uh, enjoying the podcast and is tuning in, and that's what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to raise awareness. Yep, yep, and help people. Yep. Yeah, and、uh, so the helping people. I mean, we did. Make an episode、uh, a little while ago, episode sixty-five. If you want to go back and listen to that, where we discussed the different supplier options open to buyers who are sourcing from China. So, you know, that sourcing agents. It could be companies like Sophie's, but also doing it yourself, essentially. And so, following on from that, we started doing a series of episodes where we're trying to give guidance to people who are trying to handle the sourcing process themselves. And in episode sixty-nine, we looked at the early stages of sourcing. So that's where to find your potential suppliers, how you verify them, and also how to cultivate backup suppliers if you've, you know, settled on a key first-choice supplier.、Uh, so that's part one. Bearing that in mind, this is part two. So in this particular episode, we're going to explore. The terms you need to negotiate with your chosen supplier. Now you've got them. How to keep leverage over them, and how to describe what you want at the pre-production stage. Sounds good.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's a lot. Let's try to cover that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So,、uh, jumping straight into it, then starting off with the terms you need to be discussing and negotiating with your suppliers. When we negotiate terms, why do we need to be very prepared and not appear to be too inexperienced? Well, for a simple reason. Even if this is the first time you're buying products from China, you don't want it to be too obvious when you contact suppliers and you start to discuss with them. It's It's okay if they see that you don't know much about your product category, even though、mm. it would be better if you also knew that. So you know, do as much research as possible upfront. The, the problem is, let's say you contact twenty different suppliers or ten different suppliers. You know, you go on Alibaba.com, GlobalSources.com, MadeInChina.com, one of these websites because these days、uh, that's what you have. There's not many ways to 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 find them on trade shows,、um, and you you you、um, you contact them and you send them a message, and then you know maybe there's ten of them, and maybe two of them might be tempted to to give you a very inflated price, or you know <laughs> the opposite to give you a low price to incite you to to get to work with them, and then they get your first payment and they disappear.、Uh, mm. Basically, this is a scam. Okay. And I'm I'm saying two out of ten. I'm I'm not sure, right? Nobody really knows. It really depends on the product category, but it's not that far off the mark because some suppliers are 
honest with buyers who know how to hold them accountable and not very honest with the others, right? It's not like black or white. Uh, yeah. A supplier might be a good supplier to buy a one, but a bad supplier to buy a, buy a, buy a two. Always keep that in mind. So, uh, and then the other ones, let's say the, let's say one or two of them are really great suppliers. And, you know, which means they have their choice of buyers and they're probably not very small and they will see that as mm, these guys are just starting out. I don't really want to work with them. Um, first, their wool economic model might not work. You know, there's, there's a lot of these leads that don't go anywhere. So we're just wasting our time. And even if it goes ahead, you know, they're going to give us an order for what, you know, $5,000, $10,000. Uh, and, and, and then since it's a new company, it might never reach scale. It, it might fold after one year. You know, it's just going to be a, a big waste of resources on our side. So forget it. Mm. Don't talk to them, right? Um, so uh, try not to project this image of the first-time buyer too much, right? Because you might tempt scammers and you might scare away the best suppliers. Okay. That makes a lot of sense, yes. If we go into the sorts of terms that, that you need to discuss with your supplier in the first meeting you've, you, you have with them, what are the main terms you'd suggest? So uh, there's, you know, you need to cover the basics first, right? Uh, and if we go through them one by one, and let, let, let's pick the, the, of course, there's the price, right? But the price is the price. Uh, 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 maybe I should cover it first. If you buy an off-the-shelf product and, I don't know, a certain kind of I don't know, a ceramic mug, let's say, uh, I have that in my hand. So you, you go on Alibaba.com and say, okay, I want this, this kind of ceramic mug, this size, this, uh, this shape, this color, and so on. And then you, you look for photos and then you say, okay, this one will be fine. I contact the supplier or this one also, I contact the supplier and so on. And then they, they will have some, uh, some, some prices right there on the website with minimum order quantity. Um, that's obviously the most basic things. And then you, you can do the calculation yourself and, uh, and see how many you want to, to buy, how much money you would need and how much you would sell on your, on your, um, uh, you know, on your market. Uh, mm. I think, you, you probably don't need my advice on that. It really depends on your market, your business model, and so on. But beyond these two, what are the, the six things that are really important? Let's go through them one by one. Okay. First is the, the lead time. Okay. So if you, if you buy this mug now, how long until you receive it? So how, how, how long, you know, how long until they, they actually start production? How long to get it ready for shipment? And then depending on where they are and how you want to ship also, how long to get it to your country. Now that last point is more for you, you know, to, to, to look into maybe with your freight forwarder. But you might want to ask some questions such as when are you busiest, right? And for example, if, if you're buying um, toys, and you want them to produce for you in June, you better be one of their best customers mm. uh, or it's not going to happen, right? Uh, because everybody else is trying to produce in May, June, July because they want the products on the shelves 
um, you know, ready to be on the shelves end of October, basically. So yeah. uh, you, you, you need to know when they are busiest because this will have a huge impact on the, the lead times. And if they see something very general, like, okay, yeah, you place the order, you know, you, you send the first payment and then 45 days later we ship, that, that, that's very general. You also need to know when they are busiest. Okay. And the second thing is, um, you need to try to estimate, you know, if you want some samples and if you want a little bit of customization to the samples or a lot of customization, this will impact definitely the, the, the time to get to an approved sample because the more customization means the more rounds of prototyping. Um, and this also, they, they will usually be super, super over optimistic about the timelines for that because they know that they can always blame you. Oh yeah, we sent this to you, but you, uh, we didn't know you wanted perfect. So we had to do it again. Oh, and uh, we, we, we sent it, um, you know, send it to you, but then you were on holiday, you took 10 days to get back to us and blah, blah, blah. The, uh, the, you're going to have a share of responsibility so they can always blame you. So they don't really care about that. They tend to be, you know, to promise a lot uh, and not necessarily over deliver. Okay. Uh, you need to keep that in mind. So you need to add a little bit of padding to your internal uh, planning. Uh, if they tell you, okay, the, you know, it's going to be maybe one month to get to an approved sample and then 45 days for that. And then, you know, five weeks for shipment. Well, these days, if it's sea shipment, don't count for five weeks, you know, maybe count for uh, nine weeks. Mm. Um, that's an example, right? So you need to add some extra padding. Yeah, so that, that that's for the lead time. When we talk about shipping, we also need to confirm the term. Uh, international commerce uh, terms for, for shipping. It's standardized terms. If you ship by sea, most of the case you want to buy FOB, freight on board. That's the most common. That's the one that gives you control over transportation. You pick your own freight forwarder, your own uh, 3PL company that will manage that for you. Okay, and um, be wary about suppliers who say we can ship it to CIF. Mm. This is tempting these days as shipping is such a headache that they might work with a freight forwarder, you know, a Chinese freight forwarder that will not charge them the local fees, but in exchange will charge you totally excessive uh, local fees. So keep that in mind, right? After the INCO terms um, is everything around IP protection, intellectual property protection. If you design your own product, or even if you take one of their existing products, but you make a pretty substantial change, maybe you, you work with them to add a very specific functionality. You don't want them to start selling that everywhere, everywhere around. You don't want them to, to even, to, you know, especially sell it to your competitors or even directly to your customers, right? So this goes back to the uh, non-disclosure, non-use, non-circumvention agreement. Uh, plus, if there's development work, a development agreement, we, we, we covered these uh, in earlier episodes. So I, uh, I guess no need to, um, to to go back on that. Maybe we can link to these in, um, in the show notes. I would, I would just add, though, you did just write a really great guide to IP protection for 
importers who are manufacturing in China. So we'll definitely leave the link to that in the show notes as well. Right, 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 right. Yeah, thanks for the plug. It's true. <laughs> um, okay, so the, the next one is transparency about the supply chain. Do you want to have, you know, could be a trading company, could be, you know, a agent representative that actually ends up saying, hey, you know, I should be the trader. Or, 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 or you might work with a, a real manufacturer, but they won't do anything. Maybe they will just do the packing, right? And then they will act as a, a screen to prevent you from seeing what's really behind them. You know, mm-hmm. where these two, three critical operations are done, where the assembly is really done and so on. Um, and then, the, you know, for them, it's pretty clear. Since you don't have transparency, number one, it's harder for you to switch because they really have to redevelop everything. They can't go directly to the, um, the manufacturer that's doing the the the, the, hard, the hard thing, you know, that the, 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 the operations are hard to replicate. And number two, you cannot also uh, investigate about the real costs, right? Uh, they just see your price and, and, and they don't see uh, the prices of uh, what's behind. So they don't know about the, the margin. Right, so that's why it's very tempting uh, in China for the supplier to act as a trading company, even if they are a real manufacturer, they might just outsource everything. So they are actually a trading company. So you 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 know if you write something from the start, and this is typically in a manufacturing agreement or OEM agreement or product supply agreement, whatever your lawyer wants to call it, yeah. um, you know, typically. And we covered that in, in the series uh, about uh, Chinese supplier vetting. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, the supplier would, would vet one manufacturing facility and would specify that only this one facility is approved for manufacturing. Okay, that subcontracting somewhere else is not allowed. And then in case there are one, two, three critical sub-suppliers, it's also possible to say, you know, the... PCB has to come from this guy. The battery comes from this guy and, and, and whatever. And um, and if, if this is not set yet, you can just say, you know, that you must have transparency into and, and direct contact into the, the suppliers of these components. Now, if you're going to, 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 to buy um, 1,000 pieces of mugs, you don't care about that. And you're not going to get transparency into where they, they get the powder to, to make the ceramic and everything. However... If you are going to buy, I don't know, coffee machines and you're actually going to buy, you know, uh, 20,000 pieces with orders growing months over months and so on, you can negotiate. Uh, you can negotiate that. It's just a matter of talking to the right suppliers. Okay. So it really depends on the volume. Uh, that's where you have more uh, leverage to, to get to what you want. Okay, mm. uh, and also you know access to the manufacturing site also means that you can send your inspectors anytime uh, during production. Number five is about the quality standard. So we, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the episode, from what I understand, based on your plan. Uh, yeah. But really, you um, you want to have some clarity about your quality standard. So we, we see some people they want to they want to buy I don't know uh, some kind of um, of nice um, 
electronic product that they're, they're developing and then they say, well, I want it to be finished, you know, just like the Apple products. <laughs> and we're like, uh, you know, <laughs> then um, are you going to come with the same volumes and, uh, you know, and, and the same budget for the, for the engineering before production or, mm. or not? Because if not, you know, you can forget about that. Um, and you're not going to push the envelope on manufacturing processes like Apple does. So, you know, be realistic. Uh, this is just not going to happen. However, if you do a little bit of research and a little bit of thinking and you say, well, you know, I'm going to buy a mug. I don't want uh, to have the, the any black dots in, uh, on, on the outside anything that's visible from 20 centimeter away uh, on the inside, I could have a tiny black dot uh, that's visible only under highlighting and only from 20 centimeter away, uh, maximum, you know, 0.2 mm in, in, in width or whatever, you know, because um, black dots are just very common with ceramic products. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you do a little bit of research like that, then you can you can think about that and you can say it from the start and get the suppliers' mm. reactions. Same thing with packaging. People always forget about that. But to get to get back to the example of the mug, you don't want to be the, the mugs to be shipped in inappropriate uh, packaging. And then whenever a carton is dropped on the floor or whatever, then uh, three mugs have the, the handle broken, you know, yeah. or, or the side uh, chipped a bit. Um, you know, or maybe just just they're too much in contact with each other, and and and, and there's a, a lot of um, damage just because of the transportation and the vibrations in the truck and so on. Right? These are the kind of things you need to think of. Uh, so that was the quality standard number six is payment terms. You so we already say, of course, you need to think about the price that you want to pay and so on. Um, but how are you going to pay, and when? These are actually critical questions. Uh, if you're not going to place a large order, it's very certainly going to be by bank payment or TT. You know, Chinese suppliers, they often say TT. It just means an international bank wire, right? Telegraphic transfer in the old yeah. days. <laughs> That's what it means. Um, so if you do a bank wire, um, so I, I, I saw some suppliers ask for 100% payment. And I saw some um, inexperienced buyers, but also some buyers that were just extremely confident, even if they had been buying from China for five or 10 years. I, I saw some buyers do that, and it's just nuts. Um, and they think, yeah, you know, I show them some goodwill. Yeah, I send, I send you the money in advance. I'm pretty confident about you. We're going to do great things. Uh, and then on the supplier side, it's like, Oh, look at that. This guy knows nothing. He sent us the money. I mean, professional buyer would never do that. Mm. Uh, okay, well, you know, we'll, um, we'll get to his order when we can. But um, we have these other customers that have a contract with penalties uh, for late shipment, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and who are really holding us uh, tight. So these guys are going to go first in priority. So the poor guy who sent 100% payment, maybe he has to wait for five or six months to get mm-hmm. uh, his products made and shipped. Uh, so be very careful with that. Um, typically, Chinese suppliers want a first payment of 30%. Sometimes you can negotiate down to 20%, um, especially if it's not a custom product that it can sell after. 
then you could even negotiate maybe 15%, 10%. Because anyway, you're going to make it, but if you don't buy it, they can sell it somewhere else. So the risk is pretty low. Uh, and then um, uh, ideally, they ship the products and they send you the bill of lading. So this is only possible with sea shipments, right? Air shipment is different. Once they have sent to you, they have no way to stop anything. So they need to be 100% paid before shipment by air. Uh, in that case, you need to make sure that you have the right to do a final inspection. And if the final inspection is failed, um, you have to do rework and so on. And then you have to present the products again and the new inspection will be at their cost. Um, mm. Very, very important. Uh, and then you, you pay them right after. For sea shipment, uh, suppliers try to negotiate for that also, but uh, smart buyers try to negotiate for payment after they receive the original, uh, sorry, after they receive the, the copy of the bill of lading, meaning that, okay, the supplier has shipped out. Um, and then the supplier can just scan the bill of lading that they get from the, from the forwarder. Uh, if it's in FOB terms, um, the buyer knows that it's true because they can, check with their freight forwarder and then they send a payment and then the supplier sends their commercial invoice, packing list and so on and the original bill of lading uh, by uh, FedEx or DHL to the buyer who can use that to get the goods out of customs. Yeah. Um, this is increasingly hard because of the current crazy shipping situation with a lot of suppliers that have goods that can't be shipped, you know, that will be shipped maybe in one month, two months. And it's just killing them. It's killing their cash flow. So right now, as I'm saying this, it's harder than ever to negotiate for that. But, um, you know, if the supplier agrees, maybe that the first time you will pay right after final inspection that's passed before shipment and then the second time um, uh, or, or, or starting in after March of 2022 or whatever, they can... Um, you know, they will get paid after shipment. Maybe they can accept that. You know, mm. if it if you tell them right now is okay, I understand the situation, but you commit right now to switching to the new payment terms from that date. If they confirm it in writing, it will be much easier for you to hold them accountable for that. Um, so um, yeah, I, I I covered the most important uh, terms. Always make yeah. sure that you 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 get the supplier's written confirmation, black and white, very very clear, and you can reference it. So at the very least in an email, okay, or some kind of letter of intent or whatever that would look a bit more um, uh, formal. But you know, talk to your lawyer if you work with the lawyer, that will help. Okay, sure. so uh, I try to cover the 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 main terms here. Uh, and I, I, I hope that's helpful. So mm. again, uh, the gist of this is be prepared, know what you can ask for and um, ask the right questions to the supplier. And before you spend a lot of time talking with the supplier, uh, before you spend a lot of time developing samples and things like that, get their written confirmation that they accept these terms. Because the, the little game that's always going on is they wait and they wait and they say, okay, I will talk to my boss. Oh, this is a bit complicated. We need to talk to a lawyer. Let us see that. And then at the same time, they work on, um, on, on pre-production samples that you approve and so on and so forth. And then, you know, you don't want to wait and wait and then you go into production, but then, you know, they never get back to you and confirm. <laughs> so be, be careful about that.
Mm. Yeah, uh, and the the leverage pass is you've kind of addressed this because we're talking about the terms you need to negotiate and how to keep leverage over suppliers. So you've kind of already mentioned this in terms of how to organize how you're going to pay them and what what's agreed in terms of of payment terms. And you've also mentioned, you know, enforceable contracts uh, and and getting everything in writing. So I suppose these are some of the key tools that one will use to keep leverage over suppliers and make sure that you retain enough control to be secure, right? Yes. To keep leverage over suppliers, basically you have legal tools and non-legal tools, okay? Legal tools, if you can have um, a legally enforceable contracts, you know, enforceable in China, ready to be worked on by a Chinese court. So this usually means the controlling language is Chinese. Mm. Uh, calling for litigation in China, because it's much better to call for litigation that, than arbitration, usually if you want them to stop doing something urgently. Um, so if you, if you get all of that, all of these ducks in a row nicely, um, that can help, right? And we're not lawyers, so work with your lawyer on that. And uh, the, the, the beauty of it is that you can frighten a Chinese supplier relatively easily if they start to behave in a way that doesn't comply with their contract uh, that they sign and chopped. You can actually work with a lawyer to draft a letter to scare them, Okay. Mm. Um, and, and some people even to, to, to save money, they, they will actually draft the letter themselves, uh, have it translated and then talk to a local um, uh, lawyer somewhere in China. And um, if possible, not too far away from the, from the supplier and get them to send the letter on their letterhead. Uh, that, mm-hmm. and, and that's usually enough to really scare a supplier because they're not used to that. In China, it's just, it's not something that they are used to. They, 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 don't, uh, they don't get demand letters from, from lawyers very often just because they usually don't work with lawyers. Okay, mm. that's one thing. And, and just to complement that, uh, if you ask me uh, 10, 15 years ago, I would say, yeah, you know, a lot of them, they will not read the contract. They will not know about the contract. Uh, they might be scared by the contract. This is less and less true. Of course, if they're intending to scam you, they will just disappear the, moment, the, the minute you send them a contract. If they are a relatively reasonable supplier, um, they will not. They, they have gotten more and more used to that just because buyers found that it's helpful to reduce their risks and then they're doing it more and more often. So suppliers get used to it. Okay. Uh, and, and this kind of... Uh is related to not not having that appearance of being inexperienced you know if you if you mm-hmm. organize an enforceable contract with you know proper penalties and and lay out exactly what you expect very very clearly potential manufacturer they're going to think whoa these guys are serious yes exactly exactly yeah if they if they see that you're prepared and working with a lawyer and things like that they will think okay this guy has money to put in that because first, he has money to pay the lawyer, right? Especially if it's a U.S. lawyer. <laughs> um, mm. that, that puts you in the category of the probably serious buyer, right? Probably not the guy who's going to, um, to, to, 
to give a few small orders and disappear. Okay. It puts you in the category of people who plan ahead and try to have a real business and think of the risks and, and so on, because these are the, the kinds of people who are more likely to, uh, to, to become sizable customers. Now, yeah. uh, let's look at the, the payment tools for that. Okay. So I already mentioned bank wire, TT, as the Chinese often say. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a rule, it's a very simple rule to understand. As long as you owe money to the supplier, you have some level of control over them. Okay. As soon as you have paid in full, you cannot expect anything anymore from them. Now, a lot of people say, well, you know, they're so dumb. How come it's not their interest? Um, they have to help me build a real good business and then they will, they will benefit from it and so on and so forth. And that is true, but only to an extent. And it very, very much depends on the supplier. If you're working with the right suppliers, that is true. If you're working with the average Chinese supplier, that is probably not very true. Why am I saying this? Because there's a number of buyers that keep switching from one supplier to the other just to save a few pennies. Mm. And it's not a majority of buyers, but there's a number of buyers like that, right? For promotional items, for uh, very um, low value goods, uh, you know, and of course it's more, more prevalent in uh, footwear or garment than it is in uh, uh, advanced uh, B2B electronics, right? However, it, it, it does make an impact on Chinese suppliers and they hate that, you know, and sometimes they get, you know, screwed uh, by the buyer pretty bad. Maybe they work, they spent a lot of engineering resources working on something and then the buyer just, you know, gets all the information and, okay, thank you, bye-bye. I had it uh, reverse engineered by another guy who was cheaper than you. Oh, okay. Um, and and, and Chinese, Chinese business people hate losing like that. In their mind, you know, in their culture, it puts them in the, the category of um, stupid, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they talk about it with their friends, their friends would kind of mock them. They're, you know, you're stupid. How come you, you give that, that, gave them that information? You, um, you, you, you abdicated your control over them. If you do that, you need to control them. You need to hook them in some way, right? And that's the, the behavior of a lot of Chinese suppliers. Again, not all of them. But that's unfortunately what, what they end up doing, okay? Mm. Now, uh, um, having said all that, now, again, back to the rule. As long as you owe money to them, especially a substantial amount of money, you can ask them to do certain things. You know, if you, for example, here there's an inspection and, and the inspector finds some quality issues and you haven't paid the 70%, well, you know, you can tell them, you know, hey guys, this is not good. I can't pay for these products because I cannot sell them, right? Uh, on, on the other hand, um, I mean, and sometimes, sometimes they will play games still because they will say, well, well Oh, well, you know, we can sell these products to somebody else if this guy is not reasonable. You know, um, we don't care about him, right? So they will um, they will not do anything. They will they will say no, we don't pay for the reinspection fee. We don't agree, and so on. This is especially true if, as the buyer, you don't have number one 
a good quality standard, and we'll get back to that. Uh, and number two, some kind of contract to push them to uh, fulfill their obligations, right? If you don't have these two things, uh, this kind of game is much more um, uh, much more likely to, to come up. So try to only wire the remaining, you know, it has to be a substantial amount. Maybe you keep 15%, 20%. Uh, it depends on the order, uh, the, the amount of the total order, of course, but something substantial in your hands that you owe them until you are sure that everything is okay, mm. right? So uh, that's why I see a lot of people who agree on sending 70% before shipment, even though they buy FOB and it's going to be shipped by C. And, you know, they could maybe negotiate for the remaining 10% after shipment uh, against the bill of lading. Uh, that would give them the assurance that the supplier maybe hurries up to ship the goods to get this last 10%. You know, this is just an example, right? So um, try to think of ways to keep more leverage in your hands until you have confirmed that everything is okay. Because once the goods are shipped out, forget it, it's too late. Yeah. You know, if, you, if you've paid in full, you don't have another order right now in production or anything, meaning that really you don't owe anything to the supplier. And then you get back to them and you say, well, you know, 30% uh, of the goods are not, uh, are not acceptable. I cannot do anything. You know, send me, a, you have to do a new production run for free, blah, 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 blah. You know, the, the, you know the answer from the supplier. Oh, you know, really sorry, but really, I mean, what, uh, first, are they going to believe you? You know, and it's not easy for them to, um, to take a flight and come and see the goods by themselves. Mm. And, um, and and second, they're going to be like, yeah, wait a minute, you know, you show us a few photos, but um, you say 30% of the goods, there's no way we can believe it. You know? Our inspectors do not find that. So uh, they're just going to go through the endless discussions. And then what you might get is a discount, you know, a rebate for the next order. But then do you want to do a next order with that same supplier? who messed up so bad. Yeah. So if, if you really get a, a sizable discount uh, on, on the next shipment, the next production run, well, they're not going to make money on it. Do you think they're going to do a good job? Mm. <laughs> and what happens when you see that that second batch or the next batch is pretty bad, you know? <laughs> You've already sent the deposit for it. Uh, it's, it's just not something you, you want to get into. You, you want to avoid this kind of situation up front. And so, with the shipping the way it is now, you don't want to uh, have to oh, accept, you oh, know, yeah. a, a small amount of okay goods where, where you've got a lot of defective ones that you can't sell. And then goodness knows how long it's going to take to get any replacements. That's assuming if they're actually going to be okay finally. Right, right, right. Yeah, the, the current shipping situation makes everything worse, definitely, because... Um, it takes longer for you to get the goods and the reproduced goods um, and it's, it's more expensive and, and, and so on. Things are more often in a hurry. Um, it's just much more expensive for you mm. as the buyer. Okay. The, the, there's there's a, something else I, sh I should mention. If tooling is, um, is necessary, maybe you make a custom product and uh, some tooling has to be made for um, 
for example, for the plastic casing or for a uh, extruded aluminum part or, or whatever. Mm. You, <laughs> if you have a, a a good contract and you 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 accept to pay for 100% of that mold, so that you own the mold, then the contract will provide for um, the option for you to pull it at any time, right? With um, calling for litigation in the Chinese Court of Justice and calling for what they call injunctive relief uh, in case the supplier does not comply within a certain number of days mm. as um, specified in the contract. Because if there's tooling, it's just extremely sensitive. Everything is, is, is harder. When, when you tell the supplier, hey, I'm pulling the tools, I'm pulling the tooling out, you know, we're going to send a, um, a truck, you, you, you help us load the mold into the truck and, and, and mm-hmm. bye-bye. It's really showing them the finger. It's really telling them, you know, this is over. Like the relationship is totally over. And then if you don't have something to hold them honest, that's where the really, really ugly kind of behavior happens. I mean, people are really surprised, you know, oh, yeah, we ask them for the tooling and they say no. Do mm-hmm. okay. Well, you didn't see that coming. No, I would never imagine that the tooling that we paid and that we own that they would just keep it, you know, keep it hostage to force us to do production there. But in in the buyer's mindset, if the supplier is showing that they are so dishonest, the last thing you want to do is have production done there, because maybe they will mess things up. Maybe they will, you know, buy. Uh, for example, if it's plastic injection molding, maybe they will um, they will use regrinded material. Uh, maybe they will use a substandard kind of uh, polymer, whatever, right? Um, everything is possible because you saw their true colors. So yeah. you want to be able to cut the relationship clean, right? That is really, in China, that is really a key aspect of managing the supplier is always having that option. If you do not have this option, is much, much harder. Good point about the tooling, yeah. Mm. And the last thing I, I mentioned on this topic is letters of credit. Uh, it, it seems to be getting less popular over time, uh, and it's definitely not something that small buyers can use, but if you're going to place an order for, I don't know, maybe the first order would be $50,000 or, or more, well, you might um, you might be able to find suppliers that accept a payment by letter of credit. And maybe the payment by letter of credit is only for the first one or two batches that you, uh, that you purchase. Um, Cause anyway, it's expensive for you. So you don't necessarily want to do that every time. Mm-hmm. Um, the enormous advantage of this is that you don't have to send a deposit. You know, I mean, I should not say deposit because Chinese suppliers always say deposit, but, uh, I've seldom seen them send it back, <laughs> even when they should. So it's, it's the first payment. It's an advanced payment, first, first payment, whatever. Um, and, and with that first payment, you sort of hooked. Oh, well, I already sent that money. So if, um, if we don't find a way to keep working together, I lose it, you know, and with a letter of credit, the, the, the whole dynamic is much more favorable to the buyer. Right. So mm. I don't think I should go deeper into this because it's really not that common these days. Uh, but it, it is definitely possible. 
And there are definitely suppliers that are savvy enough to say, okay, we'll do with a letter of credit. Okay, but it's very favorable to the buyer. So favorable that most of the suppliers will say no. Mm-hmm. Also, it's, um, it's not very good for their cash flow, for their cash position. So, you know, they might say no, but not for bad reasons, right? Yeah. Okay. That's clear. I mean, you've written about this before. I will be including plenty of links in the show notes that are related to all the topics we're talking about. So absolutely, you know, uh, if you're listening, you can go and read some stuff about that. So moving on. So we found our supplier. We've negotiated the terms that we need to with them. We've taken action to keep leverage over them to make sure that there's a decent amount of control in our hands as the buyer. Mm-hmm. Finally, we're going, we're going ahead with them. But before we go ahead, we need to describe precisely what we want and need from them in the pre-production phase. Okay, so what are the ways you'd recommend to do that, to describe, you know, your product and, and what you're expecting to receive from the suppliers? Well, so altogether, that's your, your, your quality standard, right? Your, mm. your your requirements, what you actually want to receive and what you don't want. Uh, so, um, it, so if you buy some kinds of soft goods, uh, you know, some, some clothing, for example, or home textile, um, approved samples will be extremely important because the touch and feel and the general look of them is extremely important. And they will all often come together with measurement tables and you know some other documents and like packaging specifications, right? Quite important. Uh, but the most of the efforts will be on the on the samples typically. If you buy electromechanical products, it's a little it's different. Um, the, the samples are important, but it's quite important to, to think of, um, you know, what are the functionality of the product? Um, what about the safety aspects? What tests should be passed? The aesthetics, you know, try to, to, um, to define certain things. For example, if, um, to get back to the example of a product with a custom enclosure, custom mm-hmm. casing in, in plastic, that's uh, injection molding, molded in high temperature. Well, you, they might make a, a nice uh, prototype with, for example, 3D printing. Okay, plus, you know, a little bit of nice finishing to, to make it look nice, maybe some uh, extra paint or something. And then you approve it <laughs> as the golden sample. And then they do the, you know, the, the tooling is made and they have some parts out of tooling and they made, they make final prototypes with that. And then suddenly you have a parting line that's like right in the middle of it, right at the core of the interface with the user. And you're not very happy. Well, mm. you could say the manufacturer, you know, and, and the people who designed the tooling should have thought about that. But frankly, it's also on the plate of the customer. The customer should think, okay, how is this going to be injection? All that, you know, now what are the, what are the typical risks with this, um, this, this, this process, where's the injection gate or gates? Where, where are they going to be? 
uh, where's the parting line going to be and so on, right? Uh, so it's important to, um, to think of all this and, and document it to avoid having bad surprises, right? Now, so as I mentioned, you know, safety tests, function tests, uh, put all this in writing with a description of the test and, and, and the required result. Same thing, um, you know, packaging, always uh, define how it's, how it should be protected, how things should be should be should be packed uh, in details, and get you know get some photos, maybe get some samples of the packaging materials, especially if there needs to be some custom printing, maybe in color that's part of the unit packing. Unit unit packing, if it's going to be like a, a retail pack, uh, it's part of the product. Frankly, it has to look nice. It's really part of the product. Uh, because it, it will give the appeal to the product. If the unit pack is broken, then it cannot be sold. Um, so tr- treat it with extremely high uh, attention, right? Yeah. And and then as you get some some uh, pre-production prototypes, take some photos of the problems, and even you know try to create some defects. You know, drop it on the floor, create a dent, scratch it. Take take photos of them. And then say, okay, this would be acceptable. This would be too big. It's not acceptable, right? Very simple with a, a tick mark in green or an X mark in, in red. Very, very important to, to do that so that the, the salesperson at the factory can share it with, um, uh, can share it with the, um, uh, with the production people and with the engineering people and the quality people without translating it. Uh, super important. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, um, so this, these are your, your potential defects. And then if possible, please, you know, put all of that in one or, one or two master sheets. It could be one for the product, one for the packing, you know, or maybe everything for one, one um, you know, in one master document. The big mistake people make is that they send some information to WeChat. Uh, this they they approve a sample. Uh, they don't really take clear photos of it. They, um, they they write something in an email, and then three months later in another email. But they don't keep one consolidated list of these requirements. And then when the time comes for production, and the people who are going to do your inspections say, okay, you know, so tell us what we should check. Then they're like, ah, well, um, yeah, there's no real documents. Okay, so the most important is this and this, you know, and they're gonna forget things and it's gonna be vague and unspecific. Uh, that that is extremely common, extremely common with small companies. Um, that's a trap because the question is, do you think the manufacturer actually put all of this in one master spec sheet nicely? <laughs> for you to approve, right? Mm-hmm. Usually not. The usual, the typical Chinese manufacturer does not do that. And and then when there are quality issues, who is to blame? Well, frankly, all parties are to blame. <laughs> all parties are to blame. That's a question that comes back, uh, comes up from time to time. The buyer is to blame because they did not give clear requirements to the supplier. If they don't specify what they expect, then you know when the, the manufacturer did something wrong, uh, who who's to blame? <laughs> and and of course the manufacturer also is to blame because they did not reconfirm everything as clearly as possible with the buyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially if the manufacturer pretends to be ISO nine thousand one 
certified because then they they're basically promising that they have a quality system that conforms to to that standard and that standard makes it very clear the the, the company should should collect you know the requirements from the customer you know in in a way that's really appropriate so if they did not do that if they did not give their purchasing staff engineering staff production staff quality staff uh, if they did not give them uh, very clear requirements corresponding to the customer's requirement well they they are at fault definitely but again the buyer is also at fault uh, i hope that makes sense yeah it does and, and i mean yourself Clive and Max in last week's episode, that would be episode mm-hmm. 74, basically said the same thing, didn't you? Yeah, pretty much. Yes, yes, mm. yes, pretty much. It has to be a lot of communication mm. and buyers need to know what they require. Otherwise, you know, they have no business buying in China, frankly. You have to do the work of specifying what exactly your requirements are. Because... Um, if you pick a supplier that works for, you know, customers that are on the, that are on another market with other requirements, well, you're going to get something that corresponds to these other requirements at best. <laughs> you need to start from this assumption. Okay, well, that's all very clear, Renault. Thanks. So, yeah, we've gone through now how to sort of get started with your supplier. So that's the terms you need to negotiate, how to keep leverage over them, and why it's so important to really describe clearly what you want, what you're expecting before production starts. So thank you for that. In the next episode of this series, which will be coming in the following weeks, we'll talk about project management, checking quality during production and verifying product quality before shipment. But in the meantime, please check the show notes for lots of uh, related links. And yeah, thanks for your input and your knowledge, Renaud. Great. Thanks, Adrian. And um, we'll be back next week as usual. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, don't forget to like and share. And you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other places that you get your podcasts from. See you next time.